0: Hi, I'm Maria Rampa. Welcome to this episode of Engineering Reimagined. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit globally, reliance on the internet and cloud storage grew exponentially. Internet users alone have increased by more than 250 million people in the past year. This growth in demand has led to the need for expanded data center infrastructure to store the increasing amount of data being generated online. With this has come opportunities for data center developers, owners, designers and providers to expand to more markets and incorporate leading edge technologies in data center design. It has also brought many challenges, particularly around how to make data centers, which consume 10% of the world's energy and contribute 3% of carbon emissions to our environments, more sustainable. Despite ongoing COVID uncertainty, or perhaps because of it, Southeast Asia experienced an 11% increase in online users in 2020, making it one of the world's fastest-growing internet markets, worth approximately $105 billion. In this episode, Colin Edison, Technical Director Buildings at Oricon in Singapore, speaks with data centre provider Space DC's Chief Operating Officer Carolyn Harrington, and Chief Technology Officer, Nick Stavrilakis, about the opportunities and challenges in establishing much-needed data centres in this booming online data region.
1: Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Carolyn. Welcome to the Engineering Reimagined podcast. Oricon is your host. It's absolutely lovely to have you guys here. Nick and Carolyn, you've come from different places and pathways to be here in Singapore working for Space DC, but Starting with you, Carolyn, your backgrounds in establishing and growing companies and what brought you to, to work for a data center startup in Singapore and Southeast Asia?
2: Yeah, thanks for having us on the podcast. It's really awesome to be invited. So this is my fourth startup. So apparently I'm a glutton for punishment and don't want a job where I just go home at night and see my family. But this isn't my first database startup. I still actually own a data analytics company so I understand data and I understand the importance of it and I can see the growth in Asia because obviously Space DC purely focuses on Asia so from India all the way down from Australia up to China so I understand the growth of data in this region. And I could see it as a really good opportunity and a great way to move to Asia and use my skills in startups and also my knowledge of data and the growth. And it was just a really exciting time because you could see the industry was about to take off even before COVID.
1: Nick, as a a fellow mechanical engineer, good stuff for a start. You've come from a background in consulting and working across a range of sectors, transport health, education, commercial, and and obviously, data centers as a, as a consultant, what inspired you to take the leap onto the exciting world of data centers from the client side and here in Singapore?
3: It was just really good opportunity, really. So data centers was kind of my favorite type of engineering, really. So having the opportunity to come here and focus solely on building data centers. And as far as an engineering role goes, it's big toys, isn't it? Like big generators, big power. So from an engineering perspective, it's a great role. And then just to come to Asia, broaden the horizons a little bit rather than just working in Melbourne forever. And then take that rather than working for someone else, being able to drive our own destiny and build the data centres that we want to build that make a difference. Carolyn,
1: COVID-19 pandemics had a, a pretty major impact on data centres, data services, everything to do with living virtually. Yeah. And, you know, this also rolls into virtual meetings, you know, Teams meetings, Zoom meetings, shopping online, streaming services, which, of which I spend way too much money on annually, I must admit, on sports and entertainment streaming. But it's such a huge part of our life.
2: You need to let the AFL go. In move countries, <laughs> just move on, Colin.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's a huge part of everyone's life. It was a part of everyone's life, but now it is a central part of everyone's mm-hmm. life. So what impact do you think that's had on the market and the demand with your customers and with your own strategies in Asia?
2: So as I touched on before, Asia was going to grow anyway, right? When you look at the population, all the population was within Asia. So you were already having an exceptional growth path without this. Also, there was 5G was always coming. Then you've got an incredible amount of really young children coming online. So it was always going to happen. And then you had COVID. So do people really have a complete understanding of what the impact of COVID on what was already going to happen, I don't think many people know, right? I think we're all guesstimating. But I do think, and we all know, it expedited that requirement. Being most impactful, though, for the cloud players, because in Asia a lot of the companies and so forth were using old proprietary software, legacy software, so you're looking at the cloud players going, oh, their growth was always going to be here, but COVID meant that they all had to go to online or else because everyone had to work from home. No one can do face to face. We've just seen what's happened in India. We've just seen what's happened in um, Indonesia, the, the massive lockdown. So I think the real thing that we've seen is a greater increase in B2B opportunities and a growth there, then also consumerism. But I think the biggest growth has been in cloud. When you look at things like Zoom, it's absolutely exponential. And the number of internet users coming online, you're looking at an extra 320 million people have come online. And then you're looking at the services then that you need to create for them to um, be able to use that. But it's it's just been a massive growth. And it will continue. And I think The hyperscalers and the people that use our services, they can't predict it and they have to look at it every three months because they can't actually forecast the growth and they're all scrambling and trying to predict how it will work. And then you've got the lockdown and then they've now worked out that you can't just set up in Singapore. You need to go all through Asia. And then how do they do that? and how many data centre operators are there in the emerging countries as well for them to actually put their clouds in. Yeah. So it's, it's been huge growth, but also opportunity, but also challenges.
1: So we're obviously based in Singapore. We're working mm-hmm. regionally based on what's happened with COVID, but even prior to that, where were the hotspots and where are the current hotspots? Which countries and, and even regions within those countries do you see as being you know huge growth potential for, for Space DC and also for, for the data centre industry at large?
2: So, Darren Hawkins, who is the CEO of Space DC, it was his brainchild back in 2017. He actually used to run and own a company called Area 3. I think it's very well known in Australia. It's just got funding purely because of their focus and specialism on data centres. He already was in Indonesia and he could see the data centre quality and what was building in Australia, and he forecasted that in 2017. And he's like, I think that's where we need to go. Everyone thought he was crazy, right? And so when we first started, the demand was naturally within Singapore and it was in Hong Kong and it was in Japan, right? Japan's always going to have massive demands. But people would be able to service the emerging markets like Indonesia and the Philippines quite simply and easily from those locations now we've got monitoriums we've got power issues and then the actual growth in the emerging markets because it's been fueled and pushed by covid means you can't just serve it from here now you've got a latency issue so originally it was the nice comfortable tier ones but now people are going into indonesia so when we announced space DC is going to indonesia people are like wow you're brave don't get me wrong we were we were like the fourth data center now they're 16. So the growth and the opportunity that you're now seeing is exploding all the way through Asia. And as I touched on before, do you have the quality data centres in the emerging markets? Because you can't just put it in those tier one cities.
1: And the types of customers will vary based on the countries. And, and Indonesia, where it's a apparently hundreds of millions of smartphones are being used, and oh, you know they just and yeah. the
2: people have don't just have one; they have multiple, right?
1: Jakarta's now, where's the next part of the world? Where do you think a lot of that investment will start to go after after Indonesia?
2: So then I think you're looking at other emerging markets. Malaysia will have to be the overflow to Singapore, but then you've got the cloud players are going, well, how do I deal with data sovereignty and so I think that's a real challenge for them. But it's a easier place because their head offices are set up here. But I still think they'll have challenges around that. Then you've got the Philippines. It's the next biggest population growth after Indonesia in terms of coming online. And then Korea is a really untapped market. And I think it's solely owned by the Koreans and you've got the Korean telecom. So it'll be trying to get in there and pry the land and the opportunity out of the Koreans' hands.
1: So there's obviously growth within existing markets, within new markets, but there's growth also in terms of the technologies that are being hosted on data centers on the cloud for your customers. And we're talking about things like smart censoring, artificial intelligence, machine learning, 5G, as you mentioned as well. So from a design point of view, Nick, and dealing with, the, I guess, the scalability of, of data centers and, and operations and development, what do you think are the, the big challenges going forward in this region?
3: So really that, building at scale, building efficiently and at speed, and then being more sustainable. That's really important to us and I think really important to everyone. You know, our kids aren't going to thank us in 20 years when global warming's taking over and uh, we've trashed the world. So a key is really being more sustainable and doing more with less. From a demand point of view with sustainability, customers are
1: probably asking for it and asking, driving down power usage effectiveness and data center efficiency and carbon impact. What do you sort of see as the immediate response to that from a data center design point of view and what's happening in the future to respond to your customers' needs
3: for sustainability? You know, you've got Microsoft that want to be carbon neutral and then erase their carbon footprint and then... AWS and Google have both got similar carbon neutral targets. So I think it's really great that those guys are driving the market and helping make that the standard and then making sure that we've got green power. So when we develop a site, it's key to make sure that we can get green power to the site, help our customers with that. With the green power and you're working in a lot of emerging
1: markets where the availability of sustainable power and maybe the appetite for sustainability that we all kind of almost take for granted living in in Singapore and coming from Australia but how do you deal with the challenge in a emerging market with trying to bring in what is effectively a first world sustainability
3: strategy it's interesting so some people very much care about the environment and care about being green others are a little bit more price driven so I think it's a balance there always, but at the end of the day, you have a more efficient building and a more efficient site and a lower PUE, regardless of whether there's that green ambition from the customer. Uh, you know, a lower PE means less energy usage, so less cost for them at the end of the day. So it addresses both the cost and the green factor. So looking at our transition fuel that we use in Jakarta, we have gas generators and we can do cogeneration that interim step whereby there's not enough green power in the grid, it's not accessible.
2: You're also seeing there's a ton of investment going into data centres and it's an infrastructure play. And then investing in renewables is an infrastructure play. So now when we are working with our investor, you're also coming together and you're bringing together two investments that they're working on at the same time. So our goal is to also when we build a new data center with the investor. We've also already bought a renewable energy partner that they've invested in at the same time, because I think that's really key.
1: Just going back to what we we're talking about earlier in terms of growth from data demand and the new technologies that are driving a lot of that. One of the things I talked about was operations. And so the people who run these mm-hmm. data centers, unfortunately, they're not fully autonomous, is, uh, still requires a human being to, to keep these things going and to build them and mm-hmm. maintain them. So from your point of view, the talent problem that is certainly, it's a problem even in Singapore, but it can be a big problem across the region. So I guess what sort of trends are you finding for finding the right talent in these emerging markets and where do you think it's going as well?
2: So I think the talent shortage is just global for data centers. And then you have to look at where you're going into an in emerging markets, right? It's difficult. Uh, and so you uh, look at the fact that there's all these people rushing into Jakarta. So where are they getting all of this skill set? Stop calling my team. <laughs> I know you're calling them, they tell me. Yeah. Anyway, so you have to really be specific on, and that's what Nick's team does on design, right? We kind of do a concept and analysis of what the skill set's like there. So what do we design in our data centre to eliminate risk or human error, which is what a lot of the design process is for data centres, right? How can you eliminate human error? But we design it based in the skill set that's in the market and then we hire the skill set, but then we have a very structured system and format to bring the team that's on the ground up to speed. So in all businesses, not data centres, you have to look at the key roles that you're hiring and what they need to bring, or so they can upskill the other people in the team. But it's a challenge, and it's a challenge in all markets.
1: Carolyn, how are customer needs changing in terms of design, the way that you're attracting customers as well, and how are they changing, and what will this mean for data centres in the future?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of ways changing. Firstly, there are ramps changing, Right, before they go, oh, I'll take one, two megawatts. Now they're like, I want 10, I want 15. You know what I mean? They're building quite defensively. So that's changing. And then their technology is changing, right? So when you're designing and you're designing specifically for the hyperscalers, you need to understand their technology. How do you build it so that they can put their own design in and you don't waste money and you can reduce the one-time cost for them? and still give them the right price in a very competitive market.
1: Are the types of customers changing as well? I mean, what might have previously been banks and long-established mega businesses, and now you're maybe talking to guys in their 20s who are wearing T-shirts and jeans. Is it changing market for for the types of customers, or are we still seeing the same players?
2: Well, I think we're all in... T-shirts and jeans or shorts because we're at home. Ford shorts, at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all we're all doing that yeah. now. Whoever it is, yeah, can't you know? Just, I just hope they've got pants on because <laughs> you only to see top up, yeah. <laughs> so normally the hyperscalers come through first. There's certain hyperscalers in the US and the Chinese hyperscalers that are market movers. So they're all coming in and their demands are changing. But now you're seeing the next tiers coming from international locations going oh, hang on, we've got to go into Europe. I mean, from Europe and America and Australia going, oh, hang on, we've got to go to Asia. Because let's face it, Asia, including India, is where the money is to be made for the next 20 to 50 years. So they've all watched, they've learnt, they've seen this is where the market's going. So you're starting to see the next tiers down.
1: We talked about artificial intelligence and machine learning and instead of just storing data, Hmm. On a server now, you have supercomputers and peer-to-peer networks and you know smart networks and all these things running on data centers that weren't there. I mean, how is that affecting the design of these data centers Nick?
3: Well, I mean, it changes, doesn't it? Once upon a time, you'd want two sites and one new disaster recovery site, and you actually want it, you know, a good twenty, forty kilometers away just in case there was a earthquake or whatever it was. Um, Godzilla attack. Yeah. Or the
1: other oh,
2: that's going to yeah. happen. It's just, yeah. we're it's, just waiting. happens all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. so annoying.
3: But the new version of the availability zone, um, and you've got a few sites and they all sync up together and work together and they need to be closer together because of the latency and that whole infrastructure or architecture of how IT works really. It's uh, completely changed and I think it will continue to, but yeah, it's a completely different architecture to what we're used to.
2: But I think also, like your customers come to you and their requirements are changing because it's being driven by the change in technologies that they're bringing to market because they see an opportunity. But then you have to look at the regulation and legislation in the countries. So you can predict what the customers are going to be based on the usage, but also there's that whole overlay of what's the government mandating, and it's quite interesting in emerging markets.
1: Nick, we talked a bit about it before, particularly about your Jakarta natural gas-powered data centre. Jack too. And uh, the demand for green data centers is growing. Talked about Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and their own lofty targets for carbon reduction and and carbon neutrality. In terms of fuels and other energy sources beyond just natural gas, where do you think the world is going from an energy point of view for data centers in particular?
3: I think it's a problem and it's an opportunity all at the same time, I guess. So we've got renewables and we know how to do it it's now cheaper to build a solar power plant than it is to build a coal-fired power plant which is amazing only problem is it's only sunny for you know eight hours a day and then you know can't control the wind tidal same kind of thing they're all uncontrollable whereas coal-fired power plant you can turn it on and off and typically you'd have you know your gas peaker plant those kind of things so as far as the energy goes i think the the key is the storage of that energy so pumped hydro, that large scale storage, looking at new battery tech, and there's lots of lithium batteries going in and like grid scale stuff. But lithium batteries, there's like a global crunch on getting batteries. You'd go to buy a UPS and the UPS only takes three months, but you have to wait six to nine months for the batteries. So I think the most exciting thing is that energy storage and then tying that all in together with the renewables and being able to go, okay, well, can turn the coal-fired power plants off because we can generate renewable energy and we can store it and we can deploy it when we want it and then eventually you'd get to a point where instead of having generators on site if you've got three days battery storage because batteries have scaled up then get rid of the generator i think that's a tricky one we're all greening the data center but we've still got standby diesel generators because the only practical way right now to store enough energy on site to be able to run the site when there's a power outage is to do it with diesel. So I think the key on the energy side is that how do we store it? And then, you know, the rest of it. So coming up with better ways to cool the data center, pushing out what we look at as acceptable temperature limits and humidity limits, and all that helps with reducing the energy that we use.
1: You talk about renewable energy, say, from a supplier and and through a partnership, and also what you can do within the confines of your own site, where do you think the trend will go for data center operators? Because a, a data center is often a very self-reliant building and that if the power's out, doesn't matter. We've got our own yeah, thing yeah. on site. Yeah. So from a renewable point of view, do you think the trend will be more of that, say, battery storage and maybe the renewable type things, so solar and all these things will be on site? Or do you think there'll be more trust in those partnerships to have that energy storage, renewable energy
3: offsite, and you're just effectively still getting an electrical power connection? I think it's a compelling reason to come to a site, if that makes sense. So we're starting to see now when we have a customer come to us, they're actually asking about what the green power is available to the site. Two years ago, that wasn't something you'd typically see, but now it's quite common, which is really good because it means that people are thinking about it. So I think to be able to both have partnerships and be able to bring green power to site, but also being able to have some storage on site. And if you can double it up, if you can go, all right, well, here's my energy storage solution, which means that you're always running on renewables, you're not running on coal overnight. And if it then doubles up with your energy storage, if there's a a grid outage, you know, it just makes sense. Again, if you can kill two birds with one stone, you're doing more with less and it's better for everyone.
2: I think that until you get Big enough parcels of land with good network, rich connectivity. I think it's going to be a problem to do it on your own site. So I do think it comes down to storage. And when you look at people like Tesla and what they're doing, I think they're you know they're one to watch.
1: Is it Sun Cable the the project that's so they're talking about in Northern Territory where they have a, a huge solar? Oh, where right, the Alaskan boys
2: yeah. have um, invested. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they, yeah, and they
1: run the cable under the water, yeah. and so that that central energy sources from really far away that serve really small land-constrained places like Singapore, like parts of Indonesia. And Do you think the data centre industry could benefit from those kinds of projects?
2: So definitely, but I have a frustration with the fact that governments are enforcing, you know, you need to be renewable, you need to be carbon neutral, you need to look at your footprint and you're like, but could you all, as governments around the world, world talk because you need a carbon trading scheme basically. Australia doesn't just have, or Singapore doesn't just have this one little bit of atmosphere above them. So I think until they all get together and say, let's do a carbon trading scheme and go, well, that's how you work. That's what we deliver. That's my opinion. What do you think, Nick?
3: Yeah. But having said that, it's good to see governments actually having carbon targets now. Some are more aggressive than others. And Singapore, I don't think they have a choice but to bring in renewables from overseas. Even if you covered all of Singapore and You know, all of the lakes with solar, you'd get nowhere near where you need to be. So, Singapore's really got no choice but to bring in whether it's from Malaysia, Indonesia, or the really long cable from the Northern Territory. I think it'd be great if that one in the Northern Territory can work and it stacks up economically. But I think projects like that will be definitely the future in places where we're land constrained. But, you know, whether you build the physical cable or whether you do, you know, in effect, the virtual cable and you Mm. use solar to make hydrogen and then you ship hydrogen across or so you know we all talk about hydrogen as uh hydrogen and fuel cells at the moment if projects start kind of going hand in hand and you can generate real green hydrogen then you know have a virtual pipeline rather than a physical cable you know bringing all those technologies and again it's, it's that sort of energy storage thing isn't it so bringing that together and portable energy storage because you know, the infrastructure's there, we extract natural gas and liquefy it and ship it around the world so we can start doing it with uh, hydrogen.
1: What other innovations are you looking at and do you think the data centre world is looking at for other ways to reduce carbon, maybe within construction methods, construction materials and the supply chain?
3: So prefabricating stuff in the factory is always great. It reduces waste. So rather than you, know, you bring all your pipes to site and you chop them all up and then you throw away the bits that were left over because they're not worth taking back to the factory. You do all that in the factory, you've got all your materials there and you can be a lot more deliberate and use all your resources more effectively. So prefab's great. So there's lots of things that help the environment and then also help quality and speed to market. I think bringing all those things together is key. In terms of climate
1: change and the impact that it will have on your business not just in terms of rising sea levels but obviously temperature increases extreme weather events flooding is one of the things that obviously data center designers absolutely fear the most because turns out they're not supposed to work underwater yet the, the it cabinets but that's another discussion to have nick so what do you think the data center designers and operators and the industry needs to consider to accommodate what's happening with climate change
3: yeah so it means that temperatures are going up so you look at everything we do and at the end of the day there's a lot of heat rejection so whether it's your chiller needs to be bigger and and have more heat rejection capacity or your generators need to have bigger radiators on them it's getting harder and harder as it gets hotter and hotter so more reason to reduce all the carbon that we're putting in the atmosphere and yeah, just the environment as a whole is becoming harsher on us So, and having bushfires that mean you can't get round and get to site and flooding and all these kind of things. So it does definitely make your site selection a lot more difficult.
2: When you go into new economies, they're like, really, do you think it's really the right spot? If you look at somewhere like the Philippines, it's got every natural disaster you could humanly possibly encounter there. So. I think it's really tricky from a design point of view to take that into account to give customers ease because of that over-anxiousness. I'd be anxious as well. They're pretty expensive service. So to build that in... And then to be able to operate it in a way that so that there is no problem and you know, in Jakarta they can't guarantee within four hours it's not like they're going down the M one in London or they're on the Eastern Freeway in Melbourne, right? Then that goes back to design. How much fuel do we have on there? You've got massive emergency response things that you need to do there. It's really tricky and that's why site selection is so difficult in the regions like Asia and it's that's constraining the industry as well because we can't build enough for the appetite
1: in terms of innovation in our sector and and not just in design but in operations and sales there's a bunch of ways we can bring innovation to what we're doing but Mm. how important do you think engineers are in bringing innovation to our sector
2: oh absolutely so obviously i don't do any of the build and so forth. That's all Nick's baby and that's all his talent that he brings to the table. But obviously then I've got the customers and I've got the account management and so forth. And it's tricky because I always say when you move to London, you want to pay a pound and you want to live in Buckingham Palace, right? So sometimes when you're dealing with your customers, they want to live in Buckingham Palace and pay a pound. So there's always that tension or that back and forth between sales and ops and the design team. So it's really put back on the engineers to be able to be really innovative and solve that problem with a lesser number of how much they spend on megawatts because we're being squeezed at the pricing side to to reduce the price per kilowatt. So I think engineers are definitely key to the success of data centres. Boys, you can pay me later.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think as engineers we like to... Not necessarily gold plate, but we do like to make sure everything's robust and sometimes over-engineer. So, really, the trick is getting the the design right and the engineering right, and innovating where it makes a difference, and making sure that the money that we do spend, we're getting good value. And I think that's the trick, and that's what makes a really good engineer is those that can look at the problem, you know, be efficient with what they're doing, and then focus on what gives value. And again that goes, you know, hand in hand with sustainability as well because if we can be more efficient on materials and costs, it's less resources that we're using. So it helps everyone, it helps the bottom line, it helps the environment, it helps everybody.
2: And that also comes down to operating, right? So the engineers, you know, I go you've got this much budget guys, what are you going to do? So they have the same balancing act that you do at the build side of what do we need to fix or what do we need to spend money on? But let's not over-engineer because there is a how do I get rid of that risk, 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 but after a while does that add value, right? So it is a balancing act and that's where you're seeing the innovation from design and operations coming through to balance.
3: And I think there's from a data and analytics and as a piece of innovation in itself, I think gone are the days of you go, oh, well, the bearings on that chiller need to get replaced every X hours or X years. And you're actually looking at the performance of the machine and monitoring all the stats of it. And you can predict when something needs to be replaced rather than just replacing it because it you know has to get done every two years. So again, you can predict if something's going to fail early and then you can prevent that failure. And then if something's going to last three years instead of two, then you've again delayed that. So looking at both the innovation on both what we build and design, but then also how we monitor and collect data and analyse it and then tie it together with the operations and the maintenance, that's a big piece of innovation that gets sometimes forgotten.
1: A successful engineer these days is somebody, as you say, who can understand the importance of data, analyse data, use that to make intelligent decisions, but also be able to utilize whether it's programming skills and other things that are changing the way that an engineer works in this industry it's not just a matter of picking up a local code and designing something the same as last time so like from your point of view what are you looking for like the type of engineer that will help
3: your business grow looking at the new crop of graduates they're a lot more tech savvy and you know you give them a problem and instead of just solving the problem by working it out they're like oh I made this spreadsheet and it just does it now, you know, or, oh, I coded this thing in Revit and you tell it how much air you need and it sizes all the ductwork for you or it sizes all the cables for you.
1: How important do you think diversity is in our sector and as an accomplished woman entrepreneur yourself, Carolyn? And oh, bless you, Colin. I'm just reading off the sheet. Yeah, <laughs> thanks.
2: I retract to everything I said about engineers before. They're useless. You should all be fired. Anyway, Colin, what do no, you know?
1: Seriously, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, look, we'll be honest, it's a very male dominated industry. You is know, it? I haven't it's, noticed. That's good of you to say yeah. so. Well, but that's a shock. What do you think we need to do to strengthen diversity and, and personally, You cannot have innovation without diversity of thought and that comes with diversity of people. But what do you think we can do to strengthen that diversity and inclusion in this industry?
2: It's about being open to the people that you hire and seeing an opportunity. And we'll regularly hire someone who might not be from the data center industry, but they've got the core knowledge and they bring that innovation skill and that empowerment and so forth. And you go... Great, let's train you up because I know that you're going to give me that little bit more to add to the diversity and add to the voice within the company. And I was talking to someone in my team, and they and I, they're about becoming a manager. And I said, you know, you'll always want to hire someone that's like you because it's easier. But the real trick is to hire someone that's not like you because you already adding to that thought or that process to the team so you need to hire someone that doesn't think like you and thinks differently and challenges you because then you get that diversity and thought so if you think like that to hire then you'll naturally get diversity in the team and that's someone as a manager just becoming comfortable with having to have difficult conversations or challenging themselves in the way that they think and talk and listening listening to their team member because you hire people so you can get home to your family at night right not so you can tell them what to do.
3: But that's one of the great things about Singapore and Asia as a whole, looking at all the different cultures that are all together, both in Singapore and then, you know, if you're building and running a data centre in Jakarta, it's great to interact and get their thoughts and work out how they work and, and learn from them and they learn from you.
2: And so you've got to really value your people and create a great culture and have that diversity and welcome diversity because then everyone's empowered to basically just do their job
1: do you think the future is more centralized or decentralized when it comes to data centers will we see more and more things going on the cloud or do you think there'll be a point where it tips over and we go back towards more of a the old server rack in your office and the Big hard drive under your uh, under your TV or whatever. Like, which do you do you think there'll be a point, or do you think it will just exponentially grow?
2: I think everyone goes. I'm going to put everything in the cloud. I think there's going to be a natural. Hang on, I need a hybrid, I need private, and I need um, cloud players. But I think it will still be serviced in a data center, the hybrid and private. But it's going to be serviced by companies like. AWS. If you look at their new Outpost product, which is you can go online and you go, I want to buy a rack from you and I want this much ISP, like bandwidth. And then it's like Amazon for your groceries. I think that's why Amazon's doing it. They're predicting there's going to be a movement back to more, I've got to need my own private service. But I still think that instead of just, I'm going to share service and just take a bit of a rack, I think, It's going back to that, but I I, I see that Amazon's already predicted that.
3: Yeah. But then I think cloud is going to be more distributed. So, you know, you looked at, you know, now we've got a lot of capacity in Singapore servicing all of Asia, so it'll be a lot of cloud, but the cloud will move into the country that it's in and then latency becomes more and more important as well. So there's going to be that growth of stuff at the edge as well. So I think it's all going to grow and it's going to be that hybrid that we're talking about.
2: The technology to operate the data centre has AI, has a long way to go, right? And robots and everything coming in because skill shortage is going to be a problem and errors, human errors, most of the issues. SLAs are brutal. So I think that will be a massive disruptor too.
1: One final question for both of you, uh-huh. final thought. Nick, what will the future look like for data centres?
3: I think everything's changing so quickly. I think it's going to be something we haven't thought of. I think it, it's all about energy, energy storage, energy storage, uh, efficiency, and then adapting to meet the needs of the tech that's going in. You know, we've talked probably more about the data center and the building and not so much about what goes into it. So looking at the evolution of servers and water cooling and all these kind of things. So I think the future is unknown, but
1: exciting. Carolyn, from your point of view and, and maybe adding on to that, what do you think are the big disruptors for the future of data centers as well?
2: I think the disruptors that we haven't seen are probably the next generation coming through and what they're going to bring and the innovation they're going to bring to it, right? And I think that we're going to be blown away by the technology that they bring to the design of the building and to the running and the efficiency of the building. But I also think something that also should be considered is the systems and the processes that they give you to actually automate and make that designing better and efficient. If you look at Revit or CAD or the architectural world, it was quite, yeah, you just do this. And now with the graduates come out and what they do with the actual software and drive it and make it more efficient and more scalable and so forth. So I think there's a lot of tools that will come out software-wise to help disrupt and drive the innovation as well that we haven't considered and we haven't seen. But I think also you'll look to the cloud players So data centres, at the end of the day, we can only make them as efficient as we can. It then comes back to the cloud players of how efficient is your technology, how efficiency are the servers that you bring into the data centre because it's not just us, it's also our customers. And I think there'll be a disruption about how data centre becomes more of a partnership together with their cloud players because eventually I don't think you can build in isolation and hope hope your cloud player comes in. I think the disruption is also going to be How do those two industries merge together? Because they can't be done in isolation for such a long period of time.
1: I'd like to thank you both very much for your time and your fantastic insights uh, into the data center world and and where we're going. And I think it's been a really fun and interesting conversation and uh, hopefully everyone listening has enjoyed it as much as I have. Well, thanks for having (laughs) us. Thanks for having us. It was great to come
2: on. Always a pleasure to work with Oricon.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Engineering Reimagined. It certainly provided an insight into what's ahead for data centers in Asia and across the world. We'd love to hear your feedback about this episode and our podcast series as a whole. So why not write us a review and tell us about the topics you'd like to hear about in the future. You can subscribe to Engineering Reimagined on Spotify or Apple and follow Oricon on social for updates. Until next time, thanks for listening.